welcome. This is the Ag Engineering Podcast, where we talk tools, tips, and techniques to improve the sustainability of your farm. I am your host, Andy Chamberlain from the University of Vermont Extension, and this podcast is supported by Northeast SARE, providing grants and education to advance innovation in sustainable agriculture. We're trying to improve the industry by chatting with farmers and getting their input on tools, tips, or techniques that have changed the way they farm for good. Many of these practices affect multiple areas of the farm. Whether it be environmentally, emotionally, physically, or financially, we share the knowledge to promote sustainable agriculture, lifestyle, and business. Thanks for having a listen. Now, let's get started. Today's episode comes to you from a farm in Moncton, Vermont, where we meet with Silas of Last Resort Farm. He grew up on the farm, but has been farming more actively the last eight years and even more actively the last three seasons now that he's signed a lease-to-own agreement. This farm does 80 acres in hay, 15 to 20 acres in fruit, vegetables, and cover crops, and currently have three 30 by 72 high tunnels with three more on the way. Their markets are wholesale, retail, farm share, as well as a farm stand, and they're bringing in between two and $300,000. Silas Doyle Burr, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. So I just painted the picture of your farm. How would you describe what you do in one sentence? I describe the farm as a small-scale, diversified, certified organic fruit, veggie, maple, and hay farm. Today we want to talk specifically about your storage conditions and how you how you do winter storage crops. Yeah. Um, as well as you know temperature, humidity. Going to get into the details on that. So uh, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> tell tell me a little bit about about your cooler situation. Sure. Um, so we <clears throat> this was last year we finished up a, a brand new washing pack facility that was retrofitted into. So uh, we were a dairy farm. Till I was six years old um, and then sold the cows and my mom um, helped transition the farm into certified organic fruit and veggie operation. Um, and we, our wash and pack facility was run out of the old milk house. And uh, we also were using that as a farm stand as well. And so there were, there were some issues with flow, as you can imagine, but the scale was a lot smaller. So it did work. Um, since I took over two and a half years ago, been looking at a different scale. And so this uh, new facility is on one half of the barn. It's roughly 60 by 30 footprint. Um, and now houses um, four walk-in coolers. Um, in addition to the previous, we had a cool by controlled walk-in cooler that was about 370 cubic feet. In this new facility, three of the walk-ins are about 460 cubic feet. And then, uh, and those are all cool by controlled. And then we have one that's a little over 500 cubic feet and that is um split refrigeration so as a compressor and con- condenser unit and what made you just dis- make the decision to use cool bots on all of those but one uh i mean initial cost really and so <clears throat> utilize a lot of help from you guys really so uh chris and you um and you probably got really sick of me knocking on your door or phone calls um but it was uh, the idea with the, the five zones was um, to match. So 27 crops, that's a huge mix. All have di- very different re- requirements. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were covering all our bases in terms of, uh, you know, warm, dry, warm, humid, cool, dry, cool, humid. Um, 
with the Coolbot controller is obviously cost much less expensive. Um, I think brand new, they're 350, 360 in that range. Then you have to get an AC unit depending on the size and, uh, and their Coolbot's great to work with. And then also getting you or Chris to, <laughs> to the numbers also helps. Um, but you're, you're looking at, I don't know, a thousand to 1200, maybe if you include installing fees, if you're not doing it yourself, but you certainly can do it yourself. And I, um, versus, uh, the compressor and condenser unit that was a cost of probably, uh, I think total about seven grand. So <clears throat> pretty significant difference. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, a big, big difference. But, and there are some studies out there if you just Google just to see sort of cool bot versus, um, commercial units. One that surprised me is the commercial unit doesn't actually use that much more electricity. Um, and then the other is, so a big crop of ours is strawberries and we do a fair amount of perennials. So raspberries, blueberries, um, and then fair amount of, uh, just for retail, we don't wholesale any greens, but greens are an important, um, mix to, to our, our crop list. Um, getting field heat out is, um, huge for us and the Kubat units, especially midsummer, just really don't cut it. Even we have, uh, our largest unit is a it's a 240 volt i think it's 24 uh 240,000 uh BTU 20 24,000 <laughs> 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 so 24,000 BTU unit um and that really struggles and um to get to uh we set it at 36 but that's really uh yeah that's just a wish i mean it gets it's constantly to maybe running. maybe 40 and so um, it's a nice backup, but we did have, we've had issues with the commercial unit. Um, the controller broke on it and it froze tomatoes solid. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank goodness we didn't have, you know, thousands of dollars worth of strawberries in there, but I think we had a couple, it was still not a, uh, a fun day because we, uh, ended up having to make a lot of tomato sauce. And what's tended to happen for us is, uh, that it's the, getting the, the set bandwidth for the commercial unit has been tough to get it to be a consistent temperature. Oh, we've like gradually dialed that in. And, um, but that's something where it's kind of hard to work on yourself. So if you're looking to do everything yourself, a cool bot controlled unit is the way to go. But again, removing field heat and getting a consistent temperature as close to 32 as possible in the dead of summer, you really have to have a commercial unit. So when you were weighing out your options, you're like, okay, I want multiple zones to have multiple different crops in ideal conditions. Sure. Um, you can do that via CoolBot rather easily, fairly cheaply. Um, and then you decided you wanted one cooler where you could really remove the field heat and like get a nice icy cold, not quite icy, yeah. icy cold <laughs> yeah, temperature. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Un- unintentionally icy yeah. uh, tomatoes. Uh, no. Um how did you how did you find a an installer for that commercial unit? Um, yeah, so we just luckily we have uh, several neighbors who are so uh, the husband of my babysitter is an HVAC <laughs> guy and uh, did a great job. Um, and then the neighbor who um, is from the family that my folks bought the farm from is a plumber, and so he's done a lot of work on on those units as well. Nice. So yeah. know, know your neighbors. Yeah, so. exactly. exactly. <laughs> so you have multiple 
zoned coolers, which is super cool. I mean, a lot of farms don't even have a cooler. And if they do, they're, you know, they got one cooler set at 40 or whatever and, and hope hope that it works best right. for most crops. Yeah. Uh, Refrigerator style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How how do you how do you manage all of these? Are you going in and out of coolers or or Yeah. Um right. So when you have multiple zones, uh the old open the door check uh really doesn't cut it. And uh, also for me, so I live off farm, um adding a little bit more to the stress because um especially during berry season we can have lots of money in there. And um yeah, if we were to have an icy incident as we had with the tomatoes before, it would just be devastating. Um, so <clears throat> what we did when we installed all of the the walk-ins is we also, uh, and all the, the cool bots and the um, condenser unit was worked with another neighbor, Bill Coons, um, from Vermont Energy Control Systems. And uh, he he's actually... Chris Callahan, I yep. think, his technology for what he calls the do-right sensors. Um, so these sensors can measure temperature and humidity, relative humidity. Um, kind of groundbreaking technology, right? Yeah, yeah. So a little bit about the do-right is it's a humidity sensor that has really good accuracy at really low temperatures and really high humidities. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, humidity sensors out there, but their range of accuracy kind of goes out to lunch, A, when it gets really high humidity, and B, when it gets really cold, which is a cooler environment. And when when you're talking 95 to 99% humidity at 32 or 33, 34 degrees, it's really important to have that dialed in. So that's something that, uh, yes, my colleague Chris Callahan yeah. uh, actually kind of designed, and then uh, he partnered with... Um, VECS to to bring that to commercialization. So sure, yeah, and um, so it's been working great. We have a uh, do right sensors in each one of our our five zones, um, and those are connected to. So we have two Vesta controllers that Bill Coons makes, um, and what's neat about these controllers is one. So it's uh, connected via was that Cat five um, to our our network, and so on the computer i can just pull it up on my iphone can pull up at any time um so it'll be tracking temperature humidity and then also we installed relays so that relays to different gfi outlets where if we want to heat or we want to humidify dehumidify um depending on uh what the parameters are that we want to um reach so if we want to get it up to 70 degrees then the relay will turn on until it gets up to that point. You can change that with a click of a button. There is a bit of a learning curve with this setup because um, so Bill Coons, I think he's in his third, fourth year with working with these, um, at least it applied to agriculture. And so I've had to learn, you know, the logic rules for coding and that's been kind of an adventure. And so that's why, this system might not be for everybody. So there is some hands-on and um, it's just, uh, it works out great because Bill's just down the road. And so if there are any issues that come up, um, the do-right sensors for the most part have worked pretty well. Um, but there have been some minor hiccups and there is some maintenance. So I have to, you have to maintain the water level with the wick and you'll be pairing pictures yeah. with these so people will know. Um, and so 
yet I know that there are other systems out there that maybe um, are more user friendly where you can just uh, kind of more turnkey, which I think yeah. would be like a monet system or. Yeah, um, there's a, there's a couple others couple out there. Um, so this is not plug and play system. Right. Uh, it's, it's getting to that point and um, Bill's customer service has been phenomenal. So it's definitely an option to look into. And I think what's, what's neat about this is uh, you can then with these controllers, if you have extra space for other sensors or probes, you can then hook them up into your greenhouse or it can extend to wherever you need, you have parameters that you want to measure. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of part uh, important part of the toolkit of making a smart farm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does he offer wireless solutions for uh, like adding sensors to greenhouses or do you got to run cat five all over your farm? He re- actually recommends not running cat farm, uh, cat five, <laughs> <laughs> cat five wire because uh, I guess there are uh, lightning issues where um, you'll bury the line and if it gets struck, then that all that line is, is fried. And so he has recommended wireless. We haven't really discussed more about that. So that's something that I'll have to get back to you. Come yeah. back and we'll do a wireless <laughs> episode. Sure. Yeah, no, that'd be neat. How about the cost? Was it affordable? Is it justified? Uh, you, you still paying on that? I think we're talking roughly three grand for everything roughly three thousand dollars to set up four five five coolers five coolers all remotely monitored yeah and uh can you can change the parameters on your phone too or yeah you can actively do it yeah and he sets up a, a control page so if you're not comfortable with creating new rules he can do that for you um i'm not sure what the added cost would be on that but like if uh, so you start, you have a template. The problem is that, uh, if you're a growing farm, which I think pretty much everybody, you can't <laughs> just stay stagnant or maybe you can, but I'd be curious to see that. And, um, I mean that that's amazing. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, if you're changing things around, which is pretty constant on our farm anyway, you can't really have a set template and stick to that. So yeah, that's why this, this may not be the best in terms of just like a turnkey setup where, oh, you just buy another sensor and then you're set. You kind of, you have to be able to learn the rules, which involves just uh, true-false logic. And then also, uh, well, what does dead span mean? And, and I, uh, I have no idea. So gotcha, uh, obviously gotcha. customer service is an, it's, an it's important key, part. And if you check out his website, um, he has a, you know, a full um, manual on sort of what are these rules and... What does Deadspan mean? I mean, and then again, YouTube too. Yeah, um, I was going to say, are, are you up late watching YouTube videos trying to educate yourself on logic or, or did uh, he kind of teach you what you needed to I'm know? Like, yeah, I mean, he, he taught. And um, the other thing is that once you have one rule in place, you can kind of reverse engineer it. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I spent two years in China. I got pretty good at reverse engineering things. And, um, yeah, so I, you know. I'd be happy if people wanted to reach out to me about it too, if they had questions, um, I'd be fine with that as well. Great, great. I, I will also say we've got, uh, we'll have a couple pictures and actually a video walkthrough of uh, his coolers. So you can check that out on our YouTube channel, uh, UVM EXT Ag Eng, um, as, and those will be linked to our, to our blog. 
and to this podcast page at agengepodcast.com. So you can uh, see what we're talking about there. Before we uh, change subjects or wrap up the episode, I just wanted to go a, a little bit deeper, like explain what the relays are for those who, who aren't familiar with with how, how are you controlling these remotely? Sure. So basically it's low voltage signal where um, you set these parameters and the controller will send out a signal. And th- this relay, and you'll have a link to the picture, right? Yep. Um, so people can see it, but there's an LED light on it. And so if the signal turns on, the light is on. If it's off, it's off. And um, basically the volt, uh, low voltage signal triggers the connection to either turn on or off for the high voltage, the 110 slash 120 volts. And so as an example, um, we sprout ginger. That's one of our specialty crops. And so starting in March is when we um, get one of our walk-ins warm. And so above, we've actually been doing it above 75 degrees. And so if it's below that, you should see the light on the relay (laughs) on. If you set the... um, parameters and you got the the rule correct um and then once it gets past that point and depending on what you set for the dead span um sort of how much do you want the temperature to fluctuate um it it should go off once it gets beyond that the temperature so a relay is a digital switch that's controlled via the program or your software which basically turns on the outlet on or off at a certain set point. It's a fantastic, way better way of putting it together. I guess you're an engineer. engineer? (laughs) I I do some engineering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so these outlets in your, well, they're not even coolers. They're controlled rooms. I mean, you're, you just explained a a propagation room or a germination chamber really, which is, which is super. Yeah. yeah, We use them for grafting and um, yeah, all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, they're really multifunctional with this type of technology, which is great. So you've got your CoolBot controlled into into that relay switched outlet, or is that controlled separately? No, yeah, that's separate. Yeah, so because <clears throat> they they have their own controllers and their own sensors. So um, yeah, their own temperature probe. Yeah, what's unfortunate is you know the all of the technology is not um, sort of all fits into one hat, mm. which pluses and minuses to that. I mean, I guess it's good to have that diversity where if one thing fails, the best controller fails, the cool bot won't shut off. But at the same time for, to check on the, the cool bot, you sometimes have to open the door because, um, there can be different zones and pockets in the walk-ins where the do right sensor will read one temperature and the cool bot will read another. I mean, I guess the only time that's really a problem, which, has never happened with the CoolBot um, controlled unit, but if you're talking like getting down to freezing temperatures, where that one or two degrees difference <laughs> would really matter. Um, so they, there's kind of small things like that just to consider. So into your into your switched outlets, you've got the CoolBot and you've got a little heater in there. Um, yeah, there. Um, so I've seen multiple ways of people do this. You could so it's, if you're not using the relay, I think a cheap. Um, way to go get around that as long as you have powers you can use an inkbird thermostat or or something of that nature um and i think those are fairly cost effective too i don't remember how much those are um but the 
the relay is nice just because I can, I don't have to be there. I can access it remote. Where the Inkbird, you got to walk in and out just to double check. Yeah. Is is there anything that you would wish you had done differently when setting up your controlled spaces? I'm still not sure in terms of how long the material will hold up with the humidity. And that's that's kind of a concern. I don't, I guess I wish I had trust core everywhere in the, <laughs> in the washing pack. And so we use um, plywood siding. Um, I guess in the, the pictures will better describe it, but in the specific washing area that's on one side of the drain where most of the plan for where the water would be is all covered with truss core, but then where the um, walk-in storage is, um, there is some splash that gets on there, and then there's some mold that has developed. Um, so we just try to keep things as clean and dry as possible, but it's you know it's a question of how long will, will this material last yeah. and, and hold up. Um, and I'm also, yeah, it'd be a major project. We had to remove, you know, um, moldy, there's a lot of insulation, wall materials, um, the OSB, yeah, insulation. Um, and so I guess what would be the best would be to have a concrete floor for each one of the walk-ins with a drain. And that's, uh, if we're talking warm and humid, there's always going to be some moisture, on the floor and whenever we're washing, there's just not a place for it to escape. So for water to escape. Because um, these are custom built custom grow built, rooms, yeah. insulated floor. So sure. plywood right. floor over the insulation. Yeah. You've got to step up foam. there yeah. because you're trying to, trying to squeeze this into the, the bar right. you've got. Right. Yeah. And um, I have seen, yeah. So you see like larger um, scale walk-ins and those are concrete floor with drains and yeah. uh, just a lot easier to wash. Um, the trust score has been nice though. And that's, that's super easy to install and it's easy to clean. We'll link to some more information about trust core, which is a, a corrugated plastic panel that installs much like uh, vinyl siding would. And it makes a nice solid washable, cleanable waterproof surface in uh, wash pack spaces. So I'll share some information on that as well. One thing I didn't mention was we had talked about those dead zones or pockets that develop. I mean, and our walk-ins are relatively small, but still we've noticed differentiation with what the do-right sensor is saying, what the CoolBot sensor, and then in um, one of the walk-ins we added an additional temperature probe just to see uh, how different or what the range was. And it is pretty significant, up to five degrees difference wow. in the same walk-in. And so... Um, adding some sort of circulation fan or with the condenser unit, like there, that's the evaporator fans that are constantly on. And so you get nice circulation there, but with the cool bot controlled units, you have the AC unit, which is moving air around a little bit, but it's, it's really inadequate. So I encourage everybody to, you do have a cool bot controlled unit, make sure that you're circulating there. Add some circulation fans. Yeah. Cool. Silas, thanks for sharing about your controlled rooms and how you manage those. If people want uh, have questions and want to know more or, or talk to you specifically, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, people can always follow us on Facebook, Instagram, can send direct messages on there, or the best way generally to reach me is to uh, reach me at my email, which is silas at lessresortfarm.com, or you can shoot me a message through our uh, website, which is www.lessresortfarm.com. 
Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Andy. It was a blast. <laughs> we'll chat later. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you go ahead and subscribe, share this with a friend, or leave us a comment. And if you want more information, check out the show notes on our website at agengpodcast.com. That's A-G-E-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day. The proceeding has been a production of University of Vermont Extension. For more information on Extension, log on to www.uvm.edu slash extension.